You're listening to the Beside the Badge podcast with your host, Paul Bunker, veteran chaplain and friend to law enforcement. What kind of police officer pulls a woman over in a car by herself and gives her a ticket? I mean, like, really, like, seriously. And I started laughing when I heard about this. And she came in and complained about him. Um, And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know one that's doing his job. Welcome back to another episode of Beside the Badge. My name is Paul Buckner, your host, and today we're going to talk about what it takes to get and keep good police officers behind the badge. Well, first off, it starts with, that was a coffee sip break for those of you who are listening. I do that a lot. It's going to take having a mayor and a set of commissioners or a, a, um, yeah, a mayor or a city council or a, a set of commissioners in your county that have decided that they are going to be pro-law enforcement and they're going to back their officers when their officers are right. A, a good chief, a good sheriff needs to know, first and foremost, that the men and women that he answers to or she answers to are going to have his or her back. And so let's start with the city. Uh, what this looks like is um, the mayor... He or she has to talk to the city council. They have to build uh, a relationship and not be infighting and politicizing amongst themselves, which especially in small town politics is really ridiculous. I've seen way too much of that. And then what you decide is we're going to be pro-law enforcement in the sense that when our cops do it right, we're going to take care of them. And, you know, we're not going to be going around saying, well, I really need you to tear up that ticket and pretend it didn't happen because... My sister-in-law, um, you know, she she was only driving 20 over in the school zone, and she's kind of upset that you gave her that ticket. Yeah, she should be. Um, she should be upset with herself that she was driving 20 over in a school zone. Uh, the reason that that speed limit there is because people's kids have died in the school zone, and, and parents like her have gone down to the city council and demanded that they have a reduced speed limit. It's even become a federal thing. So anyway, um, I was actually very deeply honored uh, a while back when a mayor contacted me and said, hey, uh, Paul, how do I get and keep good law enforcement in my town? And they, their city had really, uh, had really suffered. Uh, a chief was gone, and there was a, 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 just a time when they didn't have full-time law enforcement. And I was very deeply honored when I was contacted and had a, an amazing conversation with this guy. We became friends. And so the city council, pro-law enforcement, of course, this changes election to election. You can have somebody who really doesn't understand. It's great for city council members to do ride-alongs, great for county commissioners to do ride-alongs. But what happens is uh, the mayor and the city council won't a good chief, and they, they wanted recommendations, They and I said, well, first and foremost, you need a chief who has the work ethic, who has the ability to wear the uniform well, who has the ability to, the physical fitness standard, who has the ability to present themselves well. Now, I've met people whose uniform is not anywhere near where it needs to be, but they're excellent cops. I've met people who can wear a uniform well and aren't good cops. You're looking for that that nexus. You're looking for that perfect crossover. Someone who's got the physical fitness standard. I've met great, great cops who are big boys and girls. And they're amazing people and they're really good at what they do. But 
we all have to admit that when you pull up to the scene of something and a, and a well-dressed officer steps out and he or she uh, takes command of the scene, there is respect that is given much more readily to a well-cut uniform on somebody who is physically fit. Not to mention, you'll live longer if you're physically fit, typically. You will uh, be able to chase down bad guys better or save some uh, kid from running into the street. I have a friend in the church safety world who actually saved a child from running out into the street because he had the ability to run to the child and catch them. So, um, a physical fitness standard when it, when it comes to looking for your chief. And uh, so they ended up hiring a young guy, great cop, uh, was looking for a challenge, was looking for something new, and he is now the chief of that town. And I had told him, I said, one of the things that happens is you will, uh, you will need to, want to, as you hire that excellent chief, you talk to them about what are their feelings on this or that. I said, you need a chief that understands that a taser is an excellent tool, that your mouth is a better tool. Um, you don't want somebody that's looking for a fight, but you need somebody who can fight. There's, there's just this balance that, you, that you're looking for. Someone who has the physical fitness and the prowess to be able to fight, but literally is not looking to fight. So there's that. Someone who understands the law. Someone who understands people's rights. Some people who understand that there's discretion that is given to an officer. And someone who isn't, uh, isn't um, literally looking to, to constantly keep people in trouble for every little infraction but is, is looking to take care of the actual problems. And somebody who gives a, a warning for a taillight out and says, look, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'd get that taken care of. Just to let you know, you got a taillight out, got a headlight out. Um, but then a week later, when they see that the person hasn't fixed it, they're, they're like, well, here's your ticket. You know, there's, there's, there's grace, but there's also the law. So there's that. And then, so literally, in my opinion, if you're looking for to take care of a city, um, and you're looking for your your right fit, you got to make sure that you're the right city. Um, are your citizens largely behind your law enforcement? And so you've got that. Um, that may not be possible in your city, but you've definitely got to take that stance. Why do I say that the city council and the mayor need to be behind the um, need to be behind the chief or the the county commissioners? need to be behind the the sheriff. Well, here's the thing. You're always going to have these Karens, these people, these Kyles that are like, like, seriously, so um, the other day I was I was doing this thing and, and I got in trouble for it and, and I don't think I should be in trouble for it. Like, I was, uh, I was talking to an officer the other day that a lady was driving with expired plates and uh, probably several other things, if I recall the story correctly. And she whipped into a driveway on private property and was sitting there, which was fortunate for her that whoever lived there wasn't home to kick her out. But the officer pulled over and waited. And uh, she actually called dispatch uh, and basically called 911 to complain that she was being harassed. Uh, and the officer uh, actually pulled away and ended up catching her when he came back around. And... The long and the short of it is that her, her complaint to them was that he was harassing her and dispatch should tell him to stop harassing her. Yeah, Puddin, you just don't want to get caught for breaking the law. And there's a pretty good litmus test with somebody if they refuse, not can't, 
but refuse to keep their tags up and to keep their lights on their vehicle where they need to be and you know their brake lights and their headlights and what have you their marker lights if they refuse to keep registration if they refuse to keep insurance they're danger to society because when they have a wreck they're uninsured when they cause a problem it's bad and a lot of these people they don't have these things on their vehicle because they have a massive drug problem and a lot of these people not all of them but a lot of these people are out there and they are they already have warrants and it's those marker lights the brake lights the headlights the fact that the that the license plates are expired by four years that is a pretty good indicator that these people are not law-abiding citizens and they probably are doing other bad things. I don't know how much stolen property I've seen recovered out of vehicles, how many major drugs, uh, drug items that I've seen taken out of vehicles, um, weapons that have been seized because the person's a convicted felon and they're not supposed to have a firearm. I don't know how many of these I've seen because uh, somebody had expired plates or whatever. But then that person could go to a, a city council and complain. I got a great one for you. Uh, young officer, great guy. I happen to know he listens to the podcast, so shout out to you, buddy. He uh, is uh, late at night. I mean, I don't know, what is it, 10, 10, 30 at night, so fairly, fairly late at night. He is uh, doing his job, driving around, uh, catches a lady speeding, stops her, gives her a ticket. She comes in and complains about him, and she's like, what kind of police officer pulls a woman over in a car by herself and gives her a ticket. I mean, like, really, like, seriously. And I started laughing when I heard about this. And she came in and complained about him. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know. One that's doing his job? And the sad thing is, in law enforcement, you can literally be a hero one minute. Uh, this very same young man, he was with a uh, firefighter, responded to a call of a, of a child that wasn't breathing. And when he responded to this call, uh, he and the firefighter were able to resuscitate the child. And they're heroes. And then he's on another call uh, that involves a mistake with dispatch and a plate comes back stolen and he's got people that want his head on a pike. And what a rude awakening to be a good cop, and he is a good cop, and to be doing your best to protect the people that you are tasked and sworn to protect. And you've got, you've got in a matter of days, uh, you're a hero, and then you've got people clamoring for you to lose your job. And I was very proud of how his city handled it because the mayor's office and the city council had this young officer's back. And that's what it takes to get and keep good cops because I've literally seen, and that's what I told this mayor, I've literally seen um, where really squared away budget-wise departments have terrible admin. And it was it's a hiring mistake made by the city council or, or it's, a, it's a, a hiring mistake made by a sheriff's department. They've got a great budget, but they've got garbage admin. And when that happens and somebody comes in and complains or there's any pressure back, they fire the officer. They throw that officer under a bus. And how demoralizing and heartbreaking is it to know that if the chips are down, they're not going to have your back. I, I know of departments that if you are involved in an officer-involved shooting, an OIS, they will fire you. Wait, what? Literally, 
literally, as Americans, we're allowed to defend ourselves against someone who attacks us. Imagine if you knew that no matter what you did, and you may live in a state that's like this, but imagine if you knew that no matter what you did, you would be uh, jailed for defending yourself. I think of, there's like in England or in Canada, I've heard these terrible things, and we've got some states here in the U.S. that aren't much better. This is where I'm going to sip my Dr. Sykes coffee for a moment. Yep. So, best part of best part of my morning right there. So, we've talked about the mayor and the city council or the commissioners of a county having the back of their their city uh, police officers or the sheriff's deputies, as it were, respectively. Um, so we've got that, and then you've got. Uh, other aspects of the chief. So you've got, so we'll go, go back over those pretty quickly. You've got the physical fit things. I have seen physically fit chiefs come in and completely flip a department, completely change it for the better to where pretty soon, uh, because that chief is fit, um, officers start exercising within the department and you have a very high physical fitness level. Um, I have seen chiefs come into a department who are, are very competent with hand-to-hand skills and pretty soon the entire department of their own volition is out there training in hand-to-hand skills. I have seen departments where a, a new chief comes in and is a very, very good shot. And soon, because of the competitive alpha male and alpha female nature of these environments, they're going, um, well, I will, I'll go through that. I'll go. And I have seen officers get into competitive shooting and be willing to lose a competition, but to understand that they're bettering themselves. Um, an officer, a good officer, never wants to take a life, but knows that they might have to. Um, even scripture in Romans, I believe it is, says that, you know, the authorities do not bear the sword in vain. There's a reason that that gun hangs on their hip, and they need to be competent with it, or it can cost them their life. I have seen officers that were not competent with their firearm, and I've seen it cost them their life or grievous bodily injuries. So what the chief brings in with them, and, and also the reverse is true. If you have a chief that doesn't have any of the above and doesn't have the ability to lead men and women, um, if this chief, uh, if they don't, if they don't set a standard, and you'll set a standard whenever you take over a department, you'll set a standard consciously or unconsciously. And so if they come in and they aren't ethical, if they don't work hard, if they're lazy, if they are not a good cop, they're going to set a standard within their department. A standard that will, you know, garbage flows downhill. They will set a standard. And so you definitely want that right. So we've talked about the city council and the mayor. We've talked about the chief. And we've talked about the impact that the chief or the, or the sheriff can have. And we'll come back to the sheriff in a minute. We've, we've talked about the impact that the sheriff can have on, um, on law enforcement in their county. Now let's talk about equipment. And then we're going to talk about pay. Equipment I have seen in my experience, and it's, it's, it's limited in scope because I've only been doing this around 11 years, but it's also 11 years, not 20. So then... Um, Equipment is important, but it takes a backseat to knowing that you've got, that the chief has your back, and to knowing that the mayor and the city council have your back. Um, so then, so equipment, we're talking the uniforms. Are they in good shape? Are, do you have to provide for your own? Does the city provide for them? 
are you issued a taser? There's a lot of small town departments that are still struggling to get tasers or keep them working. People don't realize the tasers wear out. And, um, you know, there are millions of arrests conducted in the United States every year. You can look it up. And I think in 2018, there were 900 people in the entire country out of, you know, out of millions and millions and millions of Americans that died in altercations with law enforcement, many of whom attacked the officers. And the officers were able to buy hand-to-hand skills. They were able to buy equipment with their taser, uh, their asp baton, their pepper spray. They were able to uh, dissuade said individual from continuing the attack, put them in handcuffs, trust them up like a turkey, and haul them off. But equipment is important. That means cars. SUVs, whatever that department uses, a lot of the departments around my area are moving away from cars to SUVs, and the the um, the balance and maneuverability of these SUVs have really come a long way. I have seen SUVs execute maneuvers um, in the heat of the moment that that a few years ago belonged only to the world of cars. So SUVs have come a long way. Why is this stuff important? Um, I'll tell you a story. Um, about two officers that I know, and it's part it's part having good admin within your department, and it's part equipment and why it matters. So, uh, officer attacked uh, in the fight of his life, um, and um, his someone within his admin structure uh, has just gotten home, and has just pulled in the driveway and gets a call from dispatch. This is small town America. And there's nobody, there's nobody close. The towns are about eight minutes apart from, from, from house to, to location that this officer's in the fight of his life. And his admin turned around and made the eight minute drive in three minutes. Now think about that. Three minutes. Um, that's driving skills. That's competency in the job. And that is equipment that will do the job. The vehicle stayed on the road. And this officer was in the fight of his life and needed backup. And his admin got there and helped him win. And it was two officers against two individuals who were on major drugs and feeling no pain. This is this is real world law enforcement. Equipment matters. Um, your body armor matters. Um, your taser matters. And your computer equipment matters. Can you quickly and efficiently, without having to try to constantly keep the thing repaired, can you quickly and efficiently get out there and use that computer equipment? Do you have it in your car? Uh, being able to give somebody, print somebody a paper ticket. I mean, a lot of bigger departments, they're like, well, of course, that's that's all I've ever known. Well, you go to small town America and you might get a paper ticket that is handwritten. That is a reality. So uh, equipment, computer equipment, radio equipment, no officer should have to be in an environment where they can't get a call out uh, on the radio. And I have been with officers who are getting status checked and they're fine and pretty soon they're going to send mutual aid to go find them because they're concerned that they're in the fight of their life and rolling around on the ground fighting, you know, five tweakers. And in reality, they're standing up on the back of their car holding their radio up in the air as high as they can, talking on their shoulder mic going, no, no, county, I'm good. County, you know, county, I'm good. And uh, that's real. Equipment matters. Having the right repeaters in your environment to bounce that that call through to dispatch. Those things matter. Equipment matters. 
So we've talked about professionalism and integrity and work ethic and all of these different things. All of these things matter. Um, we've talked about not caving to people just because of public opinion. And I have seen things that are absolutely terrible. Like I was in one city and the city council caved to a group of concerned citizens that came in. And I know they mean well, but there's this there's this idea on the national scene that police officers just shoot dogs. Like like just like cops just walk around and and they're just itching to kill a dog. It's been two weeks since I killed me a dog. And, yeah, okay. And but there's this perception. It happens during raids. And one of the reasons it happens during raids is I've been taken by drug houses where police officers are building a case. And it's really interesting how many really mean, vicious dogs are on chains in these people's yards. And you can see the security cameras pointing towards the door so they can see the cops coming so that they can try to flush the drugs. Coffee sip break. I'm going to do that a lot too. So, this particular city... I was walking with a loved one and had two dogs come at us with intent. I mean, had these been two muggers on the street with knives, they, I mean, it would have been intent intent to stab us multiple times and take our stuff. These dogs were vicious. They were out of control. And I called, I called it in. I was, uh, got a return call from, uh, the, uh, admin of the department in that town saying, look, Paul, and they knew me, they knew me well. Look, Paul, we got a problem. Um, our, our city council has an ordinance that prevents us from going out and dealing with something like that. You have to call the dog catcher first. And this is one of these things where the concerned citizens don't understand. There's times you don't have time for that. Now, I'm armed, and had I had to, and it was it was close, had I had to, I would have dropped these dogs. And I don't mean, oh, little pussy wants to nibble on your fingers. No, I mean, like, tear chunks out of you. These are big dogs. They are intent on harm. I've owned dogs my entire life. I love dogs. I'm also not going to let my beautiful 5 foot 130 pound wife get torn up by anything. You know, human, mineral, or animal. It's not going to happen. And so, end result, they get a dog catcher out there and the dog catcher is doing their best. He's, Come here, puppies. And if, if a dog could flip a person off, that was the response the dogs gave that guy. They were like, yeah, okay, whatever. And they went on. We ended up actually locating the owner. Uh, but these dogs came at us as we were trying to leave the neighborhood. Everybody in the neighborhood was afraid of the dogs. Were pulling their kids up into their yards, up into their houses if they didn't have a fence around their yard. These dogs were out of control. This is where sometimes the concerned citizens of the community can take things too far. There need to be there needs to be extenuating circumstances that allow an officer to do his job, and so that's one of those things where where at times uh, things that citizens do hobble a police department in a very negative very negative way. So we've talked about work ethic and professionalism. We've talked about not caving to the Karens and the Kyles. We've talked about equipment. Um, equipment is even medical. Um, I don't know how many times I have been with police departments, and, and by the way, fire extinguishers. I don't know how many times I've been with police departments, and we have saved the life of an individual before EMS arrives. 
And that is one of the things, because typically law enforcement will arrive first. And we've gone through this movement where it used to be that only the folks in the ambulance had those skills. And then you saw more and more of those skills with firefighters. And now more and more of those skills, those life-saving skills, are being taught to law enforcement. This is incredible. And I know most of the officers that I have worked with in the 10, 11 years I've done this, they have saved lives, uh, not solely from violence, um, but literally from from ailments where this, this person's been injured, they've been not breathing, they're going through whatever, and the officer's been able to start some medical procedure that extended their life or, pres- or preserved their life. Uh, and that's awesome. And that equipment and training is huge. You need a city council, you need a, um, a set of commissioners for your county that understand uh, that. So we've got these aspects. Then we have the fire extinguisher. You need uh, some simple firefighting apparatus in the car. I don't mean bunker gear. I mean you literally need the ability to put out a fire, a small fire. I know two police officers that were were patrolling their town one night, saw a glow behind a house just barely inside their city limits, looked, and a grass fire had burned over the hill down onto the property that was just inside the city limits, and, and literally the flames were licking at the back of this house and sampling the house going, hmm, I think I'll burn this down. And the flames, as they're, as they're licking up the back, the, they call 911, or they, they call over the dispatch, rather, they call over the radio, and they get the fire department on their way. But they run up to the house, and one of them is banging on the door to try to wake the family up, and the other one runs and grabs the garden hose and begins to spray the back of the house and actually put the fire out. Um, they did not have fire extinguishers in their cars. And to me, that's an unacceptable situation. Fire extinguishers are not that stinking expensive. 40 bucks, 60 bucks, they're not that expensive. Um, I know of a group of police officers that responded, and it's three or four of them, they responded to a semi-fire, and I think I think the brakes locked up on it and caught the tire on fire, and it was burning. And, of course, aluminum, or as the British say, aluminium, likes to burn. And it was going to burn the entire trailer down. Now you got a real mess to clean up. And one of the responding officers had a fire extinguisher and was able to, this is a hot fire, was able to put that fire extinguisher on that fire and slow the fire. They they literally, and if you've ever used a fire extinguisher, they, they discharge quickly and then they're done. They're spent. And they toss it aside and another responding officer had one. I think, if I remember the story correctly, three of the four initial responding police officers actually had a fire extinguisher. When when fire arrived, they were able to put out the fire, and it did not burn, as I recall the story, the entire trailer down, the entire semi-trailer down. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So here, I'm going to take a, a sponsor break, and then we're going to talk about the importance of electing the right sheriff, how to get and keep good cops. In this case, talk about the sheriff's department. So very, very quickly, uh, I have three sponsors that I've been blessed with and thank God for them. I've got John Wayne O'Reilly with Gentle Response. He teaches de-escalation training. And, uh, you know, your taser is a good tool, but your mouth is a better tool. And uh, so check him out, Gentle Response. Check him out online. He has a lot of great information that he shares. Uh, he does on, on-site training and does scenario-based. You would never want someone to academically explain to you your firearm. Would, to, to say, okay, we're not going to get in the car, we're not going to get in the car, but we're going to talk 
talk about the card. No, you wouldn't want somebody to say, we're not actually going to go hands on with this training, with this these martial arts skills, but we're going to talk about them. We're going to watch some videos. No, you, you need to go hands on. You need to get behind the wheel and drive. You need to fire the firearm. You need to understand the taser. You need to understand on the dummy how to perform CPR. Well, why do we look at de-escalation training any differently? And John doesn't. He looks at de-escalation training as being hands-on. And he does scenarios that put you under pressure to get your adrenaline up so that you are actually training under that stress and retain it. And I can tell you from experience that is invaluable. In the heat of the moment, you need these skills to be readily available. John Leo Riley, Gentle Response. Got Your Six Coffee is my second sponsor. And I drink their coffee uh, almost religiously. I drink their coffee every day. I'm looking adoringly at my coffee mug over here, and they sell amazing coffee. But it doesn't just win awards. Um, they're based out of the Springfield, Missouri area. They do e-commerce sales. They are looking for uh, churches and police departments and fire departments and, and businesses that want to uh, buy their coffee in bulk. And although you can buy it just for yourself right off their website, they are looking for people to do this because what they do is service to those who serve. They take that coffee and they take the funds from it and pass what it costs to survive, pass what it costs to keep the company going. They give it away. Law enforcement, firefighter, EMT, paramedic, police officer, and veteran. They give these things away. And I love working alongside their mission. One of these days I'm going to have Eric on the show and I will talk about, probably in another episode, how I met Eric Hadley, the founder of Got Your Six Coffee. He is a veteran and is very pro-law enforcement. Thirdly, we have Shield Force International. Matt Coleman is the instructor. He is a police officer. And it would take me a long, long time to describe all of his skill sets. But suffice it to say, two things I'll talk about on this particular episode. Uh, ambush training, surviving the ambush. And secondly, like knife defense, the guy is an instructor par excellence. Have instructor will travel. He is, uh, he travels state to state and does incredible training with law enforcement. And uh, in today's day and age, you just can't be too careful. He also works with the public. I have been privileged, have had the honor and the privilege to take several of his classes. I think I'm six or seven classes in. And if I have the ability to get there, I will do so. Uh, so check out Shield Force International. So after that word from our sponsors, uh, back to talking about a sheriff. So getting a good sheriff. Now this is much more on the public. Um, so who you elect as a mayor matters, who you elect as a city council matters, who you elect as your county commissioners matter. Are they anti-law enforcement? They can cripple a sheriff's department's budget. Are they dirty? Are they skimming? Are, are they seeking their own? Do they have some kind of a weird agenda? Um, that matters. But then comes the sheriff, and people ask me um, what my thoughts are on a sheriff. Now, you have to understand, I'm a constitutionalist. I'm all for constitutional law enforcement, and I'm a bit of a closet libertarian. And so when I say this, the position of sheriff is one of the most powerful positions in the nation. Because inside of your county, as sheriff, you have the ability to literally tell certain federal level authorities to leave. That is your authority. You have a huge amount of power and sway inside of your own county, and that is what 
Constitution intended. That's a good thing. But who, the Constitution assumes that we are putting people who are moral in those positions. Now let me say it again for the folks in the back. What the Constitution assumes is the people that we are electing into these positions are moral men and women. That's a bit of a problem, isn't it? When many times we are not being careful and being diligent, and it used to be back in the day when our nation was founded, people encouraged their children to be uh, to be a sheriff or more specifically a politician, to be someone who was out there, go make a difference, be a politician. And now it's become such a dirty word that it's just about it's just about fighting words. Them's fighting words, boy. You call me a politician. And uh, what do you call 20,000 politicians at the bottom of the sea? A good start. <laughs> yeah, it's, we've come, we've, we've fallen a bit from where we should be. So what do I think a good sheriff is? To me, a good sheriff has a lot of different aspects, male or female. You need a sheriff that understands the U.S. Constitution. It's not just a piece of paper. And for them, it's almost a religion. They, they will honor a person's private property with the understanding that there's times they have to go on it. They will get a search warrant the right way for the right reasons. They will uh, they will treat the men and women that work under them well, just like with a chief of police. They lead by example. You need a sheriff that can go out to a club and sit down and go, Mrs. Jones, um, we found your husband's truck on a back road, and it looks like you took his own life. We're investigating it, but your husband is dead. We were able to positively ID him. Um, I called your pastor. Um, your sister's on the way. We need a sheriff that can do that. And having done that call, respond to the very next call and pull up to a house and walk in and arrest a pastor that's well-loved on, um, on charges of uh, child molestation because they've got ample evidence that unfortunately this pastor, and it happens, there's people that abuse authority and positions where they can get access to children all the time, whether it's Boy Scouts or at school or it's a coach, or, uh, whatever it is, uh, it's very sad, but they need to arrest that well-loved pastor or that well-loved coach and weather the storm, take the heat from people that are like, that's terrible and I can't believe that you guys do this and you guys are awful. <laughs> They need to weather that storm and then turn around. And when people go, oh, it came out in court, you should have heard some of the details. That person really was guilty. And and that, that sheriff, same, same with the chief of police, needs to be able to weather that storm and understand that maybe 50% of the people in your city or 50% of the people in your county will hate you. And then 8 or 10% of them will hate you no matter what. I had a friend of mine tell me one time, he said, "What? as soon as I got into law enforcement, as soon as I got my commission and took my first position, I had three new enemies, and I didn't even know why. People that just hated him because he was now in law enforcement. People, in some cases, that he had been friends with that no longer wanted to be friends with him. It happens. You have to be a person that isn't so eager for praise to be a sheriff, uh, that you're like, oh, my word, I, you know, I, I can't take any heat from anybody. Um, you can't be so eager for praise, and that would be where I would fall short. I like to be liked, and um, I don't like to make enemies. That's one of my personality traits. It makes me a very likable person, but I don't know that that's a good trait to get a sheriff. You need to be able to go to the next call 
and say, folks, I called you out here at your mom's house. Um, it's the 13th time she's called this week. Um, I think your mom has dementia. She's talking about how these elves are beating holes in her roof. I think it may be time to get mom some full-time care. And just very gingerly handle it, very lovingly handle it. And then go to the next call, and it's a standoff. And there's a guy who's barricaded himself, and he's threatening to take his own life or whatever. And walk up and say, listen, John, I've known you all your life. In five minutes, if you don't surrender, we're going to flashbang and tear gas you. And we're going to haul you out of here. Um, you're going to get a psychological eval. You're going to be held involuntarily. You're going to lose the ability to ever own a firearm again. You're going to probably not be able to hold certain jobs. Um, John, if you make us come in there after you, we're going to have to hurt you a little bit. And I don't want to do that. So, John, if you're willing to come out and you surrender to us, we can get you the care you need, and they can make the decisions that need to be made for your brother, but don't make us do this. You need a sheriff that has the, the softer side that can be personable. You need a sheriff who understands that there's times that you have to throw down. Um, I've seen sheriffs that actually respond to calls. Now, again, I'm in a rural area, but we've I've actually been at wrecks where our sheriff pulled up uh, to direct traffic because there weren't enough people. Um, you need a sheriff that is not afraid to get his or her hands dirty. Think they're chief of police. They're not afraid to respond to a call, and they actually keep their own skill sets up. Um, the minute that we think in any career path that we know everything, we're in a world of hurt. Now, it's possible to be highly educated, but especially in the law enforcement world, we encounter situations and people that are like, oh, I've seen everything, and I know everything. Well... Maybe you do, and maybe you don't. And so um, we've talked a lot in this particular episode about getting and keeping good quality law enforcement. Pay is not as big a thing, but pay matters. And I'm going to finish talking about pay. I've literally worked with departments where their take-home pay was like $26,000. I've literally worked with, with departments where they didn't clear over twenty. Now that's changing, thank God. But if you want to get and keep good law enforcement, be it at the city or county level, you have to be willing to pay them. A person who is well paid, um, you have the ability to filter out people who aren't as quality. So if I'm a poor quality police officer, which I'm not a cop at all, but if let's say that I am and I'm a poor quality police officer and I come and apply for your department, you might have to take that poor quality quality police officer to fill out your roster and have somebody that's eighth quality um, they they are not the kind of quality cop that you want or, or sheriff's deputy that you want because you can't afford to pay if you can't afford to pay what happens to you is better departments will steal your better officers and deputies uh, or just get them to begin with because they can afford to pay and what happens is if your area cannot pay as well this happens with schools the the better paying schools, the better paying departments will come in and cherry pick and headhunt your best people. I've seen it where they've called them on their personal cell phones directly and said, hey, I can pay this many more dollars an hour. How would you like to come work for me? You, you've proven that you've got the chops to be a cop. Come work for me. And you will lose on the regular your best and brightest to other departments. You need to pay your people well. And I said that to Beth Mayer when we were talking. You need to pay your people well. 
every once in a while you will find departments that have had people there for 20 years at one department. Odds are the admin's been pretty decent during that time. Odds are the pay's been pretty decent during that time. Odds are the equipment has been pretty decent during that time. Imagine what a good cop, what a good sheriff's deputy can do in their city, in their county during that 20-year career. Because they're going to go, well, there's that Paul Buckner. He lives up on that hill there, and he's kind of kooky. And, or they're, they're going to know. They're going to know the people on the beat that they work. They're going to know the people that they deal with. And they'll build relationships. They'll know who the liars are. They'll know who the cheats are, who the druggies are. And they'll know who the good citizens are. Having officers work for one department for 20 years or more is incredibly rare, at least in my part of the country, largely due to pay, equipment, and who their admin is, who the people are over their admin at the city or county level. So guys, I have gone almost double with this, but I felt it was worth fleshing out. Hopefully with my ADD ramblings, you have enjoyed this. Hopefully you have felt like you've gotten something out of it if you are trying to get and keep good cops in your area. As private citizens, we need to be active in a good way, working with our sheriff, working with our commissioners, working. You should know the name of your sheriff. You should have had coffee with your sheriff. You should know the names of your county commissioners each, even if they're not over your area. You should know each of your city council members and have had coffee with them. And you should know your mayor and have had coffee with them. Seriously. It's called your civic duty. We, we don't get to sit back and go, <laughs> the police in my area are bad. <laughs> we don't get to do that. We don't have the right to do that if we don't actually get out there and try to make a difference. If we don't vote, especially, oh my word, that just makes me want to strangle a goat. I can't stand that when people are like, you know, it's just really terrible how awful, how awful the police officers are in our area. And I mean, the city council is always, well, Karen, did you vote? Well, no, it doesn't make any difference. Then shut up because you're not even trying. So on that note, I'm going to pray us out. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you for today. I thank you for those listening. I ask that you would guide, bless, and protect the police officers that are listening to this broadcast. Lord God, I ask that you would keep them safe as they go about their day. Guide them not only closer to you, but closer to their families and help them as they discover new ways to deal with stress, as they learn more about their jobs. Lord God, help the private citizens listening to this to go, hey, I need to step up. I've been challenged by this. I need to do more. Lord God, I feel like we're going into some dark times in this nation. I've reported this in in uh, September of 2020. As for protection over our law enforcement, that you would literally bend the bullets around them when they are attacked, that you would cause those who come against them to stumble literally and to fall where the officers would gain the upper hand. And I thank you for the men and women that put in a badge every day, a uniform of service to protect us. And I thank you for them. In your son Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to the Beside the Badge podcast. Stay safe out there and be sure to subscribe and share this podcast.